Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. Welcome to your Sunday liturgy. This is the program that accompanies you as you prepare for the Sunday Eucharistic celebration. After the Sunday liturgy, you can listen to our bulletin of church news that will be followed by Panorama. Then, our feature, The World Around Us, with news about our environment. I'm Father Paul Samasumo. In this week's Sunday readings, Jesus clearly shows us that he is a God who is near to his people. He is not far off or indifferent to what is happening in our lives. Fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time A reading from the book of Job Job spoke, saying, Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? He is a slave who longs for the shade, a hireling who waits for his wages. So I have been assigned months of misery, and troubled nights have been allotted to me. If in bed, I say, when shall I arise? Then the night drags on. I am filled with restlessness until the dawn. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. 
Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. The Word of the Lord. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, if I preach the gospel, this is no reason for me to boast, for an obligation has been imposed on me, and woe to me if I do not preach it. If I do so willingly, I have a recompense, but if unwillingly, then I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my recompense? That, when I preach, I offer the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Although I am free in regard to all, I have made myself a slave to all so as to win over as many as possible. To the weak I became weak to win over the weak. I have become all things to all to save at least some. All this I do for the sake of the gospel so that I too may have a share in it. The Word of the Lord. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. He approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she waited on them. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak, because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and on finding him said, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, Let us go on to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. And now with this week's Sunday Literary Reflection, here is Father Enobong. As St. Paul will say in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means serve some. We are invited to respond to these important questions as we hear God's word today. How can we make life meaningful to others? How can we help alleviate the sufferings of those around us? As Christians, we believe in the power of God to heal the brokenhearted and to alleviate human sufferings. But God will only do this through the good we, we do daily to others. Christians in positions of authority and those who are well-to-do should allow themselves to be used by God to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounds of their brethren. 
they should see themselves as God's instruments of redemption. Just like Christ took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, God has positioned us all with different roles to play in ameliorating the sufferings of people. We are all called to take up the responsibility to make life meaningful to others. And by so doing, we are also making our life meaningful. We pray, therefore, for the grace to be of service to those suffering and the sick in our communities. May the message of Christ in all its richness continue to find a home in our hearts. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Peace be with you. Father Hilary Mwinyaneza, Robin Peary, and Father Enobong Daijom contributed to the program. I'm Father Paul Samasumo. Do stay tuned in for our bulletin of church news and later the world around us all about our environment. Francis on Saturday met with students, parents and teachers from one of the Italian schools known as the Collegio Rotondi in Gola Minore. The school is located in the Italian city of Milan. In his address to the group, Pope Francis encouraged them to be open to changes and dialogue with others who are always seeking the truth. Lisa Zangarini reports. Introducing his address in the Paul VI Hall, Pope Francis noted that the Collegio Rotondi, which was founded in 1599, has grown over the centuries, changing and adapting to the needs of different historical moments. This, he remarked, tells us an important message, that it is necessary to know how to change to remain faithful to one's identity and mission. He therefore encouraged the students of the Catholic College to continue to seek the truth without letting themselves be influenced by the fashions of the moment or by common thinking, which he said can take away our freedom. At the same time, the Pope exhorted them not to be afraid when necessary to change and accept different opinions and ways of thinking from their own. Siate veri amanti della verità e per questo sempre disponibili all'ascolto e al confronto. Be true lovers of the truth and therefore always available to listen and discuss, he said. Recalling that Jesus taught us that truth sets us free, Pope Francis further stressed the importance of promoting knowledge through sharing and dialoguing with others because he said ignorance breeds fear and fear breeds intolerance. 
We study to grow, and growing means maturing together. The Pope explained, stressing again that dialogue includes dialogue with God, with teachers and parents, with each other, but also with those who think differently. Pope Francis concluded his speech by encouraging the Collegio Rotondi to continue to preserve and update its ancient legacy. Continuate così, custodendo e attualizzando l'eredità che avete ricevuto. I am Lisa Zingarini. In another audience on Saturday, the Holy Father received the Spanish seminarians from Madrid, urging them in his speech to cling to Christ and to save his people. He encouraged these young men preparing for their priesthood to draw their inspiration from Christ in prayer. In his prepared remarks, the Pope noted the fact that Cardinal Jose Cobocano has come to Rome to take possession of his titular church of Santiago and Montserrat. He said the church's patron saints, James and the Blessed Virgin Mary, combine the apostolic faith and love for Mary that characterizes all of Spain. Pope Francis told the seminarians that Spanish bishops have sought to turn their pastoral dreams into reality through their seminaries by providing high-quality formation for men preparing for the priesthood. He pointed to the words of the 20th century Saint Manuel Gonzalez, who said, he wanted a seminar in which the Eucharist was, in the pedagogical order, the most effective stimulus, in the scientific, the first teacher and the first subject, in discipline, the most vigilant inspector, in the ascetic, the most vivid model, in the economic, the great providence, and in the architecture, the cornerstone. The Pope urged seminarians to let Christ be their cornerstone and stimulus for their pastoral activity, saying, This can only be achieved through adoration. He went on to say, The greatest lesson Jesus teaches us is humility, which he imparts through many varied parables, comparisons, and events of his life. Discipline, he added, is required for all seminarians and priests so that they may faithfully participate and eventually celebrate the Eucharist every day. The Pope said many consecrated to the service of God and his people must also be vigilant and practice ascetism. Pope Francis concluded his address to the seminarians of Madrid by inviting them to turn their interior spiritual labors into an outward expression of God's closeness to people around them in their pastoral activities. On Friday, Pope Francis celebrated Mass to commemorate the World Day for Consecrated Life. Observed on 2nd February, the feast is an invitation to give all that the consecrated men and women are worthy for God and God's people in the service of God. This was the 28th World Day for Consecrated Life, and Pope Francis in his homily encouraged the world's religious men and women to always be open to be moved by the Spirit and in conformity with the gospel, to nourish the reawakening of a longing for God. The annual observance was instituted in 1997 by Pope St. John Paul II, and is celebrated on the feast of the presentation of the Lord, 2nd February. The theme chosen this year is Pilgrims of Hope on the Path of Peace. Present at the Mass in St. Peter's Basilica was a delegation of the group of members of Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies, of apostolic life as well as participants in an international meeting in preparation for the jubilee 2025 the pope in his homily reflected on the prophetic anticipation of the lord's arrival as foretold by the prophet malachi who said that the lord whom you seek 
will suddenly come to his temple, and the Pope therefore invited those present to await patiently, vigilantly in spirit, and persevering in prayer, adding that safeguarding our interior life and in conformity with the gospel, we will embrace Jesus, the light and hope of life. Pope Francis also expressed concern for today's Christians who may have become too absorbed in themselves and in the business of everyday life to recognize God's continuous presence. He warned against the possibility of letting our spirit doze off, of letting the heart fall to sleep, to anesthetize the soul and to lock hope away in the dark corners of disappointment and resignation. And directly addressing his consecrated sisters and brothers, he suggested they ask themselves whether the intense rhythm of life may have led them to forget the importance of waiting for God with open hearts for his revelations and presence. The Vatican's Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith on Saturday published a doctrinal note that it has called in Latin Gestis Vebisque. The document addresses the validity of sacraments, formulas and matter that it says cannot be modified in any way. The aim is to put a stop to continued liturgical abuses. Gestis Vebisque therefore reiterates the fact that words and elements established in the essential rite of each sacrament cannot be changed because such changes render the sacrament invalid. Devin Watkins reports. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has responded to liturgical abuses of the sacraments with an official note entitled Gestis Verbisque. The note was approved unanimously by the Cardinal and Bishop members of the Dicastery at the recent Plenary Assembly. Pope Francis then approved the text of the note. Gestis Verbisque reaffirms that the formulas and material elements established in the essential rite of each sacrament cannot be changed at will in the name of creativity. Doing so, in fact, renders the sacrament itself invalid, therefore it never existed and no sacramental grace was conferred. Cardinal Victor Fernandez, Prefect of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, said that there has been a multiplication in the number of situations in which it was necessary to declare the invalidity of the celebrated sacraments. As an example, he cited modifications to the baptismal formula, including, I baptize you in the name of the Creator, or in the name of the Dad and the Mom, we baptize you. Some priests, he noted, have also discovered the invalidity of their own ordination due to an invalid baptism. Cardinal Fernandez explained that while in other areas of the Church's pastoral action there is ample room for creativity, in the realm of sacramental celebration this turns instead into a manipulative will. He said the Church has the duty to ensure the priority of God's action and to safeguard the unity of the body of Christ. Sacraments consist of matter such as water, bread, wine, or oil, and form such as words or eloquent gestures like the sign of the cross, anointing, or laying on of hands. These elements and their interrelation cannot be changed without invalidating the sacrament they confer because they find their origin in sacred scripture, in the church's living tradition, and in the magisterium. Therefore, says the note, matter and form have never depended nor can depend on the will of the individual or the individual community. Justice Verbisque concludes by noting that what is read in the promulgated liturgical books must be faithfully observed without adding, removing, or changing anything. I'm Devin Watkins. The Catholic Archbishop of Nairobi in Kenya has described as very unfortunate 
The gas explosion that occurred on Thursday night in Nairobi. At least three people were killed in the February 1st night disaster in Nairobi's Eastlands area of Embakasi. Speaking to the media, Archbishop Philip Agnolo of the Archdiocese of Nairobi said the incident was very unfortunate and called on members of the clergy in his metropolitan see to be available to offer spiritual assistance to the victims of the gas explosion. The ordinary of Nairobi challenged the Kenyan government to be proactive, saying the government should protect the people and urged the civil servants to learn from past mistakes. According to local media, three people are confirmed dead and well over 200 others injured, some in critical conditions, after a lorry of unknown registration number that was loaded with gas exploded. And according to the Kenyan government, the incident ignited a huge ball of fire that spread widely. You are tuned to the Daily Africa service of Vatican Radio. Hello and welcome to the World Around Us News About Our Environment. I am Festus Tarawali. Rina Gelani, the UN's Climate Crisis Coordinator for the Response to the El Nino Weather Phenomenon, has said careful forward planning has helped Madagascar to be better prepared to deal with the impacts of the current El Nino phenomenon and climate change. The south of the country has endured a long-standing humanitarian crisis and El Nino and the climate crisis have raised drought fears in Africa's Indian Ocean Island nation. Daniel Dickinson of UN News spoke to Ms. Gelani as she visited an irrigation project in the Anosi region. He began by asking her to explain what the El Nino phenomenon is. El Nino is a regular weather event and it affects the air temperatures around the sea. But it's normal cyclic. What's happening now is that El Nino, on top of the impact of the climate crisis, the impacts are being felt much harsher. So it either creates too much water, flooding, or too little, and drought, which is what we're seeing in many parts of southern Africa. And what is the link between climate change and El Nino? What the scientists are saying is basically... Whilst this is a regular phenomenon, we're going to most likely see it happen more frequently, more intensely impacting, and also because communities are not having time to recover from the last impact, the vulnerability of these communities is lower. So helping them recover is taking a lot longer. And what are the impacts on the people living here? Basically, the impact is that they're unable to grow the food that they need to live. And so it's having a massive implication. If you can't feed yourself, then you're sending your children out to look for other ways to feed yourself. So they're not going to school. And there's a lot of flow-on effect from that. Communities are being devastated here. They're actually saying to us they don't know what the future holds. We're in a field in the south of Madagascar Mm. looking at examples of how... Mm. The country is preparing for this El Nino event. Can you describe a little bit of what you've been seeing? We can either, as an international community and as governments, wait until we have to provide life-saving aid, or we can do what they're doing here, and that is actually looking at ways to reduce the impact. 
look at seeds that will work in drought, look at how to get water to the communities now that is not trucking but more sustainable, looking at other ways of earning a livelihood and crops that may not be traditional in this area but certainly will help provide an income. And that is far more cost-effective in terms of money, but it also is far more cost-effective in terms of lives. And there's an important early warning element to this, isn't there? Absolutely. And here in Madagascar, they've been working over the years and in many southern African countries where they now have a system in place where they can actually provide warnings to communities that this is coming and so we need to be able to prepare now. And the cost of doing that, research is showing that it's seven times cheaper to do that than to actually wait before the disaster happens. The Secretary-General's initiative, which is early warnings for all, every person in the world should be able to have access to an early warning to a disaster by 2027, is actually being implemented here in Madagascar, and we're supporting, as the United Nations, the government to put that in place. Madagascar is actually the first one at, at the COP event last year to lay out their plan, and now it needs to be all of us together helping them to get this up and running. And Madagascar is a good example of this early warning approach, yeah? Madagascar's been working for a number of years because they're used to the cyclones coming. This is a region that's had 48 cyclones in the last, you know, 15 years. So they've been working on this early warning system, and now with the droughts coming as well, they're using that to help communities prepare ahead of time. When you talk to people living here, Mm. their main concern is just one thing. Their main concern is water. Exactly. And we're seeing that throughout. El Nino is either creating too little or too much, as I said, and here it's way too little. And together with the government, the humanitarian community and development community is coming together to find a sustainable solution to that. We're ready to sit here and listen, and we've heard amazing ideas from the local communities. They know the weather, they know that it's changing, and they know what works. How important is it for the United Nations to be working with partners, to be working with the government, to to make sure the response is a success? Well, firstly, it's the government's responsibility, and we need to ensure that governments have the capacity to continue to do this so the UN can actually leave. The United Nations also is having a funding crunch, and so we need to work collectively together to maximise our capacities um, and build the capacity of the government and communities. In terms of this current El Nino event, what does success on the ground look like to you? Success on the ground looks like what we have been speaking to the communities about yesterday and seeing in their faces. They were able to earn a living for themselves, provide for themselves and have their children at school. And to me, that's success. And we did it early enough that their lives were not destroyed. That was Rena Gelani, the UN's climate crisis coordinator for the El Nino response, speaking there to UN News' Daniel Dickinson. And that's all for this edition of The World Around Us. News about our environment. Till the same time next week, I am Festos Tarawali. This is the Africa Service of Vatican Radio and I am Kanyanta Godfrey Kampamba. Praised be Jesus Christ. Laudetu Jesus Christus.